Happy New Year. It's good to see you here. My first day of 2012. It's a good way to start off. We're going to do something a little different this morning. Perhaps you're not very awake. Late night last night. Yeah, I stayed up really late. I went to bed around 9.30. It was awesome. <laughs> I hope you rung in the New Year. Good for me. I sure did while I was sleeping. We're going to do things a little different this morning. Before I tell you what we're going to do, let me give you a little background. About 11 years ago, I was at the lowest points of my life. I was at a time in my life where I did not want to go on. I didn't want to live anymore. I wanted to for sure die. I went to go see, as I've told you before, um, a man probably in his 70s or 80s, and I told him my situation. I said, I don't want to live anymore. I'm done. And he counseled me and gave me great words that spoke to my heart in the gospel of Jesus Christ, his grace, his love for me, his forgiveness, his ability to change my heart, his very healing words. And as I was proceeding from that time to climb out of this pit, one of the things that was very key is that I had to, um, in a sense, think God's thoughts after him, have truth going in me. And one of the tools that he gave me 11, 12 years ago is that he encouraged me to memorize Scripture. And you may wonder, well, Pastor Jason, why do you memorize Scripture? Are you trying to win an award? Are you trying to win Awana bucks? That's what you get if you're in Awana. Um, or uh, what, what's the deal? And, and for me, the simple answer is absolute desperation for God's Word, for God's truth, to know His Word. And what the man shared with me many years ago, the, if you want to call it technique of memorizing Scripture, I have shared it with you throughout the years, and many of you are new, so you've never seen it before. I have it in the lobby for you. It's very simple. For starting out, you can just take five to ten minutes a day, and, the, and it's a systematic, easy way to memorize the Bible, one verse at a time. And I think it would encourage you. And some of you have done it before, and you're still doing it. I encourage you to go get that resource after the service today. Another thing I want to tell you is about two years ago, I came back off a sabbatical. And as I came back off that sabbatical, I really felt compelled to um, start to do two things. One was push-ups. I really wanted to do push-ups. Yeah, I know. Can't you tell? <laughs> Push-ups. And the second thing that I wanted to do coming off the sabbatical was I wanted to start to memorize larger passages of the Bible to start to string the verses together to understand things in context. And as I was memorizing larger passages of the Bible, I really felt led to start sharing those with you on Sunday morning. And as you have been with us on Sunday morning, maybe you've seen this a few times. We Remember, we did the book of 1 John. We did the book of Malachi. 
We did the Sermon on the Mount. And the motivation in doing this with you is, is twofold. One is I want you to hear the word kind of like the New Testament Christians would have heard it without reading it. I don't want you to read it. I want you to listen how they kind of would have heard it. And the second motivation uh, for doing it is I really want you to consider memorizing Scripture yourself. Not huge passages, but one verse at a time. And so as I was thinking about what was next, I really have a passion to learn and understand the book of Romans. It's a good book. Have you heard of it? There's a lot of good stuff in there. And I, I, I don't think that I'm going to memorize the whole book. It's kind of big. But I started last January with the intent of sharing with you on Sunday morning a little bit of what God's been doing in my heart. If you were here last week on Christmas Day, we did Romans 1 through 3. And this morning we're going to do Romans 4 through 6. And as you listen uh, to these chapters, I want you to understand what's going on. This time we're going to do things different. Andy approached me and said, let's do things a little different this time. So I hope it doesn't mess me up too bad. Uh, rather than doing one big chunk at a time, he said, let's, let's do a chapter at a time with opportunities to respond in worship. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a chapter at a time with opportunity for you to respond in worship in relation to what's going on in the book. I want you to understand that Romans is by far, to me, one of the greatest books in the Bible. It's like the Apostle Paul is this lawyer presenting the case that we are all sinners, and yet there is grace where we can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that's the case we saw last week in chapters 1 through 3. But as we move into chapter 4, we're going to keep talking about faith. But we're going to hold up the example of Abraham. You've heard of Abraham, right? Great example of faith, of, of being uh, declared righteous before he was even circumcised. We're going to hear a lot about circumcision and uncircumcision. When we hear about circumcision, we're just talking about the Jews and the uncircumcised. We're talking about the Gentiles. They both can be reconciled to God by faith. So we're going to hit faith hard in chapter 4. And then as we move on to chapter 5, we're going to talk about hope. Because we have faith through Jesus, we now have hope that we are one day going to not face the wrath of God that we are accepted fully through faith in Christ. And Paul's going to make this argument to say, in Adam, this is what happened to the human race. We all fell into sin through Adam. But in Christ, we can all be reconciled by faith in him. So we see, in a sense, all the junk being passed on from Adam to everybody. And through those who believe, all the justification, righteousness, peace, and hope that's passed on to believers through Jesus Christ. And then we're going to move into chapter 6. And chapter 6 is a lot of fun, where it talks about, hey, guess what? We're no longer slaves to sin. We have a new master, and that is Jesus. We have a new identity, and that is in Christ. And we do not have to submit to sin. We do not have to bow down to it. We have God's grace through Jesus Christ to say no to that old master. Consider ourselves dead and alive in Christ Jesus. And chapter 6 is a great way to start off the new year, seeing your identity in Christ. For some of these 
New Year's resolutions that you're wanting to make with regard to walking in righteousness of Christ, there is power. There is power to obey now as we're no longer enslaved to sin, but we have a new master. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into four, and then we're going to respond, and then jump into five, and then respond in singing, and jump into six and respond with singing. Don't read. Just listen as New Testament Christians. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that you would do significant things this morning through your word. And I pray for my brothers and sisters to see that they too are desperate for you. They may have not thought about passing off of this life or wanting to die, but they are just as desperate for you and your word, for you to speak to them, to hide your word in their hearts. And I just ask this morning that as we hear your word, there would be a desire to hide it in our hearts and to grow closer to you. Speak to us now through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing to whom the one God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised and not for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Well, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that Abraham our father had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he should be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. 
That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we also rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we've now been justified by his blood, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by grace into this faith in which we stand. We rejoice. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, 
even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more will those who have the, the, the abundance of God's grace reign in life through, through Jesus Christ. But the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more were those who received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been United with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. 
For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to righteousness and to sanctification, and it's in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 